Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Oh, it's a real privilege to be here. I've so been looking forward to this day. Uh, Chip's been telling me about this church and uh, the exciting things that are happening here. And uh, I've been here since Friday afternoon, and so far it all seems true. So uh, what a great place. And uh, well, um, as Chip mentioned, I am a nature photographer and author You all know what an author does, but uh, sit at a desk and scribble. But uh, as a nature photographer, you may wonder, what does that mean? Well, I spend much of my time way up in the mountains of uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, climbing up the high peaks and exploring the remote valleys uh, by myself, usually at all times of day and night and all seasons of the year, uh, making photographs that celebrate the beauty of our natural world. And then those I sell in my gallery in Estes Park, Colorado, and in my gallery in New Mexico, and they end up in uh, you know, high-end hotels and hospitals and businesses and people's homes, magazines and newspapers. But you know, My dream was never to be a a nature photographer. In fact, I'm kind of surprised I'm doing it. It was never what I thought I would do. Make sure I push the right button here. All right, got the right one. Um, When I was 12, my father died of a heart attack at uh, the age of 42, mostly from stress-related issues. Um, He was driven and worked so hard and... uh, lost him as a result because he he didn't know how to have balance in his life. And uh, shortly after that, uh, my mom remarried and we moved to another town and I got involved in a wonderful youth group that took me in and loved me. And there I had an encounter with Christ and my life was turned upside down. And during that, shortly after that, I said, okay, God, what are we doing with this life of mine? Let's, let's get going here. Let's do something. And I'm 13 years old. thought, you know, let's get this all moving. Um, and eventually, after some persistence, I sense God saying, we're going to be heading uh, to Eastern Europe, which at that time was behind the Iron Curtain, meaning it was uh, under uh, Soviet influence during that time. These countries were closed off to um, the outside and uh, especially to uh, things related to religion or faith. And so many of them, it was heavily suppressed and some it was just heavily monitored. But my particular interest and passion was for this little country called Albania, located just north of Greece and across the Adriatic from Italy, And it had declared itself the world's first atheistic nation. It had this extreme form of communism with this uh, kind of crazy dictator. Reminds me a lot of what North Korea is today. But I sense that that's where I was being called. And I thought, okay, how's this going to work out? I have no idea. But I started spending all of my time as a teenager, instead of 
playing sports or uh, keeping up with the latest music. I was a nerd in terms of studying Balkan history and understanding this little country of Albania. And as soon as I finished high school, I raced in to get uh, training so I could serve overseas. Did a four-year training program in Minnesota, uh, focused on Bible, uh, cultural anthropology, uh, cross-cultural communications, and church planting, and all of these different types of things. And as I was finishing up that four-year program, Eastern Europe began to open up as communism began to give way uh, to... uh, democracy. And so I moved overseas uh, as quick as I could, uh, spent the first year with an organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission, some also called Young Women After Men. But, uh, and I was, uh, I worked with them for a year, traveling around Eastern Europe, getting a sense of what was happening. And I even had the chance to enter the country of Albania, which had just opened, to be part of the first open presentation of the gospel in 40 years, and see the church reborn in that country. It was really exciting. But while I was out there, one of the young women after men found me, and uh, we got married. Beautiful British woman named Joanna, who's followed me here today. And... uh, We got married, and... I should have been in the background. We got married, and uh, then we moved back to Europe. We lived first in Bulgaria for a little while, and then moved into that country of Albania. Uh, we studied the language and culture, and then said, well, now what? Where, can, where should we serve in this country? So we went to our Albanian friends and said, where's the greatest need in this country? And they said, oh, you don't want to go there. That's, that's a wild, dangerous place. We thought, hmm, that sounds interesting. And they said, nothing good comes out of there. And I thought, oh, didn't they say that about Nazareth, where Jesus came from? Okay, we're going there. So we moved up to this little town in northern Albania, right on the border with former Yugoslavia. And uh, yeah, there were bandits everywhere. There were gunfights going on all the time, bombings, blood feuds. Uh, Mafia was there, uh, clan rivalries. It was a wild place. And we worked there for a couple of years, uh, helping local artists market their work and had a job creation programs, put in an airstrip, had a bookstore, taught English classes, had Bible studies, did all sorts of things. But I had so many death threats, I always had a letter in my back pocket to my wife in case I was uh, killed out there. Um, it was stressful. It was quite stressful. And uh, it, there was also, I don't even think there was a word for privacy in the Albanian language at that time. I think now they use the English word. But uh, back then, the, the whole concept of being alone was not allowed. And so they, I go for a walk and a a uh, shepherd would see me and race over. There's a foreigner alone. Can't let him be alone. Um, but because of that, I started to fall apart inside. I was just focused on ministry. And uh, then in 1999, uh, the war in Kosovo broke open. It had been raging in the rest of Yugoslavia, and finally the little country, little area of Kosovo uh, caught spark, and uh, refugees began to pour into our little town. We were only 15 miles from the border, and all the different uh, agencies started to arrive, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, uh, Médecins Sans Frontières, and many of the other organizations. And they all just hung out at the local hotel uh, bar and, and refugees sleeping in the streets. So I went to them and said, what's going on? Why aren't you doing anything? They said, 
We've been everywhere in the world, but we have never been as pl- anywhere as lawless and crazy as this. We got our car stolen. We've been held up. I said, okay, what do you guys need? And they said, oh, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, just, I've been here a while. Tell me what you need. And they said, well, we need the Kosovo Liberation Army moved off here. We need this to happen here. And I said, okay, great. Thanks for your list. And then I went out and I knew how the clan structures worked. I knew how everything was functioned. And so I came back the next morning and said, I've done it. And they said, who are you? How is this possible? And that started a relationship with the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, where we, where I, uh, and then I started training Albanian church leaders to serve in this intermediary role of assisting them. And uh, that turned into us starting a refugee agency and training churches across the country to take care of refugees. And by the end of the war, we had the largest refugee agency in the Kosovo War with 30,000 refugees we were taking care of. And the United Nations said, we wouldn't survive without you. But as exciting as that is, um, I was falling apart. And soon after the war, my best friend and partner that I'd been working with over in Albania and for years prior to that died of a heart attack at uh, age 26, I think, and leaving a wife and small child, and I was devastated. I was, I'd already been falling apart, and that just took it a bit further. And then I was asked, to, my wife and I, to go to Kosovo, start an organization to help facilitate all the agencies that would be arriving to uh, rebuild the country. And so I went up there, and we created an organization and herded cats of about 135 different agencies, and there were constant fires to be put out and problems. And again, have I said it? I was falling apart. Um, I actually got to the point where I realized I was, gonna, I was having health issues and I was going to end up just like my father, dead at an early age if I didn't do something. But beyond that, that vital relationship with God had gone hollow and I was empty. I knew how to do ministry. I knew everything about you want to talk about the Christian faith or scriptures or whatever, but I was empty on the inside. I'd been so focused on doing and ministry and giving and hadn't really paid attention to my own inner being, and I was in a miserable state. And I went to my board and said, I I can't do this. i got to get out of here for a while. And so they were gracious and said, okay, do what you need to do. And so I went, God, help. i I got to leave. I'm in bad shape. And for some reason, I felt like I, wa- I needed to be out in nature. And so I said, God, I want to be up on a mountain. I'd like a trail next nearby. And I'd also like high-speed internet so I can do a master's program while I'm relaxing. Um, and two days later, a friend of ours came up to me and said, Hey, uh, my cousin's wife is building a... Uh, no, my cousin's... Try that again. My cousin's uh, sister is building a house in the Colorado Rockies right next to Rocky Mountain National Park. It has a bottom floor available, and she's wondering if you know any workers here in Kosovo that need a break. I said, maybe. I said, tell me about it. And she said, well, it's up at 8,600 feet above sea level up on a mountain. I said, is there a trail nearby? Oh, yeah, there's one just up the street that goes into the national park. I said, oh, well, does it have internet access? And she said, well... She works over for Time Warner over the internet. So even show she's remote, yeah, they've got it. I said, I know someone who would like to take that. And so we arrived on January 1st, 2004 at this little cabin in the woods. And I remember stepping out of the car and shutting the door. And there was just silence. 
and beauty. And it was amazing. And I thought, I'm here. It's happened. And I slowly began to walk those quiet trails. Um, and it took time. But over a couple of months, I began to slowly feel that healing was returning to my inner being. But needing an income, but uh, not wanting to get stuck in a cubicle and uh, while I did my master's program and everything else and needing to rest and recover, I decided to become a nature photographer to earn a little income on the side. And so I taught myself photography and began focusing on Rocky Mountain National Park. And then I thought, okay, well, we've been here a little while. Lord, it's time to go back. And I sensed the Lord saying, no, you're staying. I thought, wait a second. My whole identity, everything I know, everything I am, everything I've been focused on for my whole life since I was 13 is over there. And I sense God saying, stay. And so I lost my identity of who I was. I was just this photographer dude out there. Nobody knew, which was fine fine in one sense. But I realized I was losing something. And uh, I was a hollow shell and God wanted to heal me. And so over these last 20 years I've been there now, as a nature photographer, I've walked these trails. I've hiked probably 12,000 miles through the park at all times of day and night. And in that process, my life has been transformed. I've gone from a hollow shell to this sense of fullness and overflow. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what that journey is for me and what, what has happened. Because I think many of us, we get so focused on outer activity, we lose touch with what's going on inside. Now, over these years, I've discovered that solitude, silence, stillness, and beauty are the gateway to our inner world. Now, when I used to think about my inner world, I thought, ugh, it's just getting into a lot of psychological babble, or at worst, it's just deeply selfish because we have a hurting and broken world out there. To spend all that time just digging around inside is just, that's pointless. Why should I do that? But uh, I didn't realize that uh, I had thought that I was the answer to a broken world. I was out there to fix it. And God kind of showed me, no, I am the broken world. I'm the one who needs the healing. And he, and he pulled me aside off of the field, onto the sidelines, and said, no, we're going to spend some time together. And in that quietness my life began to change. But what I've discovered is that our inner world is where our deepest self resides. Now, if you strip away all your titles, all your activities, all your hobbies, work, all your friends, all your relationships, who are you? Who are you outside of all that? And I don't know that I knew that. I thought I, my life was wrapped up in activity and, 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 uh, and service. And God wanted to open up to that central, delicate core. But also what I discovered is in our inner world, and the reason most of us don't want to touch that inner world, is that's also where we've hidden all the baggage. That's where we've got all of our pains and wounds and failures and flaws. But we don't want to open that door. That's, That's a scary door. But that's the one that God was inviting me to open during that time. Now, I don't know if uh, any of you have seen the television show Doctor Who. It's been playing for 63 years now. But he, so you still have time. I think it's going to continue. But he travels through space and time in a British phone box. 
And when he takes people traveling with them, they look at this box and go, how are we going to fit in there? And then they walk inside and then look around, and it's this vast, huge place filled with many floors and many different rooms. And you think, how can it be so much bigger on the inside? Well, the funny thing is, that's what I discovered for our inner world. It is vast. It's so much bigger on the inside than the outside. There's this vast world within. And, uh, and I didn't even know it was there. I, I didn't even know there was anything in there. And you think, well, why is there this vast cavern inside of us? What's the point of that? Well, uh, St. John of the Cross, a 16th century uh, Carmelite friar uh, in Spain, said that he thinks that this deep abyss within each of us is there so we can begin to receive a little of the uh, infinity of God's love. And I think that that deep cavern is the place that God had meant to inhabit in each of us and the place where our inner self resides and that is where our life was supposed to spring from and that we were supposed to live from that area. But we, I had settled for living on the surface of my life and had not gone into that inner place because I was afraid to deal with that ugliness. So on those quiet walks, I began to encounter that inner world. I began to encounter all of the junk, and I had to face it and look at it and those wounds from childhood and from other things. But I also encountered in that silence and stillness the loving embrace of a father who had been waiting there to embrace me. And he just has open arms and saying, finally, welcome. Welcome here. And and he said there was nowhere I could go and nothing I could do that would ever change that love. That he loved me no matter who I was or what I would do. And he said, I love everyone that way. This is who I... It's not because of what you've done. It's because who I am. This is how I am. And I realized so many wrong ideas about myself, about ministry, about God's character were there. And he began to transform and shift it, just not by me working hard or studying or thinking, but by me just spending time and him bringing ugliness out that I had inside me and letting me look at it and saying, I release it. I release it. And honestly, facing that, I found transformation. The funny thing is, you think that's the end of the journey, but the truth is, that's where the journey begins. From there, it goes down the rabbit hole, and your whole world gets turned upside down, and everything looks different, and the way you relate with the world looks different. And I think that's what God has for all of us. But most of us don't even get to the starting line. We get information and say, yep, I got that. I got that information, but that's not it. In Western Christianity, we are an information, well, in the Western world, we're an information society. That's all we do is we gather information and knowledge. We come to church, we get more knowledge, and we go out to watch the news, and we get knowledge. But knowledge does not transform us. It's encounter that transforms us. That's what changes us. And if you don't get to that point, don't expect that change. Yet how do we get to that place of of intimacy and relationship where that transformation can happen. I'm skipping my slides because I'm getting too excited here. Oops, now it's, there we go. If, so, yeah, how do we get there if, uh, 
if we haven't had that encounter. And I, what I want to do today is I want to take you with me on a journey. Now, I, my plan was to uh, take you with me to Rocky Mountain National Park for a visit, but Chip wouldn't buy the tickets. <laughs> so I apologize. Uh, you're going to u- need to use your imagination today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go down into this valley here to a quiet trail, and we're going to have a little walk. And I want to help you just begin to pay attention. Now, there are many different ways that we can enter into God's presence, but this is one way I found. It's through the natural world. In fact, that was the first Bible before there was writing. It was through the natural world that uh, we would learn about God and encounter God. And uh, so I want to take you for a walk. Let's find a quiet little trail that doesn't go anywhere. Now, we're not going to race to get ahead. We're not going to speed up down there. We're just going to walk very slowly and begin to pay attention to what's going on around us. We're going to choose a trail that doesn't have anyone else on it. And uh, as we walk along, pay attention to the, uh, to the flowers and the trees. And I don't think this slide is moving, so... There we go. And then we enter into the deep forest. Notice the light falling on the trees and how it illuminates each little needle and branch. And as we look around the forest, the complexity and the life everywhere that, there, that we look. And then as we listen, maybe you'll hear up above the wind in the trees. As I stop and I listen to the wind, I think, I've heard that before. Kind of sounds like the ocean. And then as we walk along, you begin to hear something else out in the out in the forest. What is that? It's a gentle stream. And I like to stop when I'm places like this and listen to the stream and kind of pay attention to where each little gurgle is coming from and all the different tones. Sometimes to me it actually sounds like voices in the water. And then I think about a stream like this, and we're just seeing a tiny snapshot, and we think, this is it, this is the stream. But no, this isn't it. This is just one fraction of its life. And when I go back and I think, well, where is it headed, and where did it come from? Perhaps it came from a mountain high, high, high above before it got to this point. Maybe it began its life just as melting snow and started to drip down making its way further down, gathering in pools of water high up in the mountains before eventually making its way down to the valleys below over giant boulders rushing downwards, this dramatic journey down, down, down it travels, eventually coming out to smaller streams and eventually into large rivers that wind their way through fields and plains and through deep, deep canyons, this incredible thousands of mile journey that it's making across, across the landscape. And all we saw with that stream was that little stream, but there's so much more. And eventually it joins with waters from across the globe, becoming this vast expanse filled with life of all kinds amongst it. And that was just a little stream. And if we turn And look around us, we've got trees growing up. And notice how they reach towards the sun day after day to gather sunlight, to receive the moisture. And how if you look closely, every little piece has life growing on it, lichen and mosses and 
everywhere there's life growing. And then if you look at the forest floor filled with flowers, did you know that underneath there's a, a fungal network that's helping them all communicate with one another to share information, to share nutrients? It's a community. None of them are alone. They're all sharing with one another in a vital relationship. Everywhere we look in our natural world, if we start to pay attention, we're going to see wondrous things. And as we do that, our inner world, without paying attention, starts to open up within us quietly like a flower. And in that quietness, we may begin to start to hear that gentle whisper of God to us, calling us into His presence. But too often, we're just racing through, and the call is to slow down and pay attention. I would like to read, uh, as you maybe have heard, I've written a couple of books, and I'd like to read a passage from one of those. So much of our time, life is complicated and confusing. We are pulled and pushed in multiple directions. It often feels like we're ping pong balls bounced back and forth without any choice in the matter. As a result, life often feels ungrounded and without a coherent thread. But when we finally pull ourselves away from the craziness and step into the quiet of the natural world, our pulse drops to a healthier level. Our spinning mind finally slows down, and the stillness of the forest begins to work its magic within us. Here in the silent wild, we begin to see with growing clarity all that is trivial in our lives is exposed, and that which actually has meaning becomes obvious. In the stillness, we can finally hear that gentle voice deep within. That is the solid ground we've been looking for. This voice is our guide through the Talmud. It remains, its call is to remain connected not only now here in the quiet, but also when we leave the forest and return to the busy world. It is in this connection that we rediscover the path to wholeness. Paying attention to our natural world slows us down and begins to connect us with our inner world. It is here in the silence that we finally find God waiting to walk with us, waiting in the garden as He's always been waiting for us. The natural world reveals the wonder of God while slowing us down, and it gently leads us into His presence. It's almost as if it was designed to connect us with God. Now, this doesn't happen just in the mountains of Rocky Mountain National Park. It can happen anywhere. I hear you've got a nice little park nearby. Cuyahoga, you've got down here at uh, Lake Erie, and there are parks all over the place. But anywhere that you can be in the natural world, you can take time to slow down, be by yourself, pay attention. doesn't matter what you're paying attention to, to the trees, to the clouds, to the shadows, to the birds. But as you do that that inner world begins to open up and God will meet you there. He's waiting there for you. So don't miss out. Don't race through life. Don't do what I did and live on the surface of your life just involved in activity and ministry or all the things that life throws at you. Take time to step out of that chaos and to be in the quiet with the presence of God because as I said, that's just the start. There's a journey there's no time to talk about here that goes deep and will transform you and the world around you, not because you worked at it, but because you live in vital relationship with the one who stands behind it all.
So tonight, so this morning, I'd like to just pray with you, if that's all right. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those here today that they will hunger for you, not for more information about you, but for you yourself, not for miracles and answers to their problems, but for you yourself. You've been whispering to us our whole lives, calling us into relationship, but too often we've been busy. Too often we've settled for the outer shell of faith and missed the very substance. Lord, take us by the hand into that quiet place where we can encounter you. Show us how we can carve out that space and where we can be, go to be alone with you. Yeah, I know, when we enter that quiet, Lord, we're going to face a lot of junk. But uh, Lord, help us to face it with you knowing that you will walk through it with us. Help us to have the determination to push through to the other side. Help us to continue to be honest and vulnerable and keep pushing in until we find ourselves like children sitting on your lap, loved, welcomed, and embraced. Amen.